We're continuing a series uh, titled All the Feels, and we're looking at the various feelings and human emotions uh, that come upon us. Uh, They show up early, and they show up often throughout our lives, and they can be extremely confusing at times. They can be very, very powerful at times, even sort of taking over and dominating our thoughts and our feelings. And these emotions are with us all our lives. They serve very important, uh, very important roles in our lives. As we talk about fear today, we'll see the important role that fear can play in our lives. They can become critical for our survival at times, um, and yet they can be very, very confusing. And sometimes our emotions even find themselves rooted uh, in something other than reality, something other than what is true, and they can be very, very powerful in that regard. We're focusing most of our uh, attention on the book of Psalms today, but as we talk about fear, I want to kind of give you a biblical overview of fear and how it um, appears. Uh, But we will land in Psalms, and we'll be in Psalms throughout this series. In fact, I've encouraged uh, those of you that that like to kind of be in whatever we're in to be reading through the book of Psalms and, and responding as something kind of wells up within you as you read a psalm or as you interact with God's Word, I would encourage you to journal about that and see how it applies uh, to your life. Because I mentioned this last week, most of Scripture is God talking to us. That's why we call it the Word of God. But over and over in Psalms, we find man addressing God or talking about God, that, that God is the focus of the Psalms and our emotional response to Him in particular. And so uh, the reason that this matters so much, and we talked about this last week as well, I'm just kind of catching a few of you up in case you weren't here. Um, the reason that this matters so much is that, is that the true love of your heart is revealed by what you grieve and what you celebrate. That's a quote from Paul David Tripp, and, and when we think about it, that's really true. Even if it's a little bit convicting, uh, you know, the things that I grieve and the things that I celebrate reveal what what my true heart and passion are. And sometimes that gets misguided. And sometimes it gets wrapped up in a sport, sporting event or a, a sports team. Or sometimes it gets wrapped up in something that really doesn't matter all that much. And uh, keeping our focus on the right things and making sure that we are celebrating and grieving things that have that fragrance of eternity. Things that will matter to people for a long time is the goal and the hope And uh, we are thinking through the book of Psalms and thinking through all these different emotions and particularly how we bring those emotions to God because God invites us to bring all of our emotions to him, not just the pretty ones, not just the ones that we want everyone to see, but the ones that maybe we wish we didn't have. He says, bring that to me as well. Let's go through that together. And so last week's bottom line kind of uh, spoke to that. It was this idea that we should feel our feelings but feed our faith. We looked at Psalm 42 and a wide range of emotions that the psalmist is, is expressing in this circumstance that he finds himself in. And he brings all of those to God. And the kind of the, the quintessential or the, the bottom line, the, the main idea was this idea that we feed our faith. We don't feed our feelings. Our feelings are generally going to be strong enough on their own. We don't need to pour fire on them or pour, pour gasoline on them. We need to feed our faith. We need to, to recognize our feelings, that they're there for a reason, that they might be serving an important uh, purpose, but, but we shouldn't allow them to control us. We need to feel them. We can't just ignore them or pretend that they don't exist, but 
we don't want to be feeding them and become ruled by them because you're not your feelings. As powerful and as strong as they may be, you are not your feelings. And I got a, a nice message from somebody last week that said that really stood out to them. And this idea that how often we say, I am angry, or I am sad, or I am happy, like we are our feeling. And we're describing an emotional state. She said, I'm really going to work on saying, no, I am feeling upset. I am feeling angry. I'm feeling sad. But I am not those things. I am a child of God. And uh, it was a great application of that message. So today as we talk about fear, we're going to look at the different ways that it manifests itself. It takes on a lot of different forms. Uh, Fear can present itself in anxiety. It can present itself in worry. It can present itself in dread. All of those are rooted in, in this response to a circumstance that has something to do with fear. And I asked a, a Facebook poll uh, on, the, on the Linwood website uh, or Facebook page and just asked people, what are your greatest fears? Um, what are the things that you're afraid of? And we got a wide variety of responses from a, a wide variety of, of people in various ages and stages of life. And they shared about things like loneliness, snakes, heights, disappointing others or feeling worthless in some way. Um, somebody mentioned, you know, house, house fire. That's my greatest fear. Uh, Some people said bugs and and things like that. And so there's a wide variety of fears. uh, But there's also, I did some empirical research as well, not just Facebook research. And I found a a study from Chapman University from 2014 that had asked Americans, a wide spectrum of Americans, what their greatest fear was. And I was interested to note that that the greatest fear was public speaking. Um, So here I am speaking in public, uh, recognizing that that is many people's greatest fear. And it cracked me up a little bit. I don't know if you can read that or not. It's really small. But heights is next, then bugs, snakes, or other animals. And drowning is fourth. So, So the fear of speaking in public is higher on most people's list than drowning and actually dying. Okay, um, so some of you would actually, you're, it's not that you would rather drown and die than speak in public, but you're more afraid of having to do that. And maybe that's more likely a reality in your life, because that's another thing. You don't know how the question was posed or those different things. But as you move down the list, um, you know, clowns, ghosts, zombies, um, all of those are way down compared to public speaking. So um, maybe that's not because they're as likely to take place. But we do have a wide variety of things that we might say, I am afraid of that. And some of them are big and serious. You know, I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm very afraid. If you ask me, what are some things that I'm afraid? I'm afraid that something terrible is going to happen to somebody I love, some random act that would take place. And I can choose to kind of acknowledge that fear and move on in the face of that fear, or I could choose to be paralyzed by that fear. But we have big fears. We have big fears. One of, another survey that I saw just noticed how fear is ramping up. Uh, people are more fearful today than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, that fear is a bigger uh, issue for people to deal with. We also have smaller fears. I, I, I'm always afraid of being misunderstood. Uh, that's one thing I just, I would hate for someone to misunderstand something important about God's word, a failure of mine to communicate it clearly. And so I often pray, just as Paul did, that I would communicate God's word clearly, as I should, that the call, call to the gospel would be clear, so that it wouldn't be a mistake or, or a, a misunderstanding about that. Um, I'm also afraid of forgetting something important. I have this recurring nightmare. Pretty much any time I wake up after 6 o'clock, I'll wake up with this little panic, like, it's Sunday and I forgot. And, you know, I'm going to be late for church or I'm not going to make it to church. And I'll, I'll have that little moment, that jolt, and then I'll be like, 
No, Mark, it's Tuesday, and it's okay. You just got a good night's sleep. So fear at its core is an emotional response that actually serves us well in regards to survival. It can be very crucial to our survival because it initiates what we call a fight-or-flight response. Maybe you've heard about that in, in freshman psychology or something like that. And they did an interesting experiment, actually. They thought that fear was dominating uh, these groups of gorillas up in the mountains, uh, I think of Africa. And, and so they took all the fearful, skittish ones out to see if the tribe would be happier. And they came back a year later, and they were all dead. There were no gorillas there at all. There were just a bunch of corpses because nobody was sounding the alarm. Nobody was, was, was doing that. And so there are fearful people in your life that may be there to serve a purpose for your life, um, but they can always get out of balance. So we want to think through how do we, how do we respond appropriately because it, it may be helping us to avoid danger. It may be uh, helping us to, uh, to plan ahead. If you're afraid that you're going to run out of money before you run out of days, you can, you can plan ahead and make sure that you spend less or save more or pick up a second income. That, that fear and, and some of our fears enable us to respond to that potential reality. And some of those potential realities are out of our hands. And those are fears that we need to turn over to God. Another thing that's interesting about fears is that we have rational fears and we have irrational fears. Rational fears are things that may actually happen and have a high probability of happening that we need to, to accept as a known risk or a known danger so that we can then respond to that risk or that danger. We can fight it. We can flight away from it. We can stand our ground and endure it patiently with suffering, or we can transfer it to another. The insurance industry is all about transferring a risk, a known danger, to someone else. So if you're afraid of wrecking your car and and not being able to replace it, you can pay a premium every month to transfer that risk to somebody else, or health insurance, or all the different types of insurance. Simply take a known risk or a known fear and transfer it to somebody else so that you don't have to be staying up at night worrying about that. You might choose to do that anyway, but you've at least transferred the financial risk. But there are also irrational fears. These are fears with an extremely low probability. And we have to decide how we're going to respond to those. The Greek word phobia uh, shows up often in our New Testament when we're told not to fear. And so the different phobias that we talk about today, arachnophobia is the fear of spiders, and and, uh, claustrophobia is the fear of being in a confined space. And, And they take on an irrational sense when they sort of start dominating our lives. And this fear that we have, whether it's likely or not, starts to to take over. Now, interestingly enough, fear is the first emotion that appears after man's fall from grace in union with God. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that's the first time that we see fear on the stage. And maybe you're familiar with this. You don't need to turn there because I'm just going to be there for a second. But Genesis 3, 9 and 10 says, But the Lord called to the man, saying, Where are you? This is right after the snake, right after the apple, right after all that. And the, and the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fear did not exist before the fall. There was only perfect union with God in paradise. What room was there for fear? Following the fall, that's when fear comes onto the scene. And so fear has that associated with it. It's a result of the fall. It did not exist before there. And from that point forward, over and over and over in Scripture, we are told, do not fear. 
do not fear, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be terrified. And often with the promise or the assurance that God is saying, I am with you. I'm commanding you not to fear because I am with you. Because you need to put your hope and your faith and your trust and your courage in me. Now some have come along and say, you know, there's 365 times that the Bible tells us not to fear. One for every day of the year. And then I've seen people come along and say, no, it's not that many. It's this many. And, you know, this many count. And let's do this, search it this way. And let's broaden the term. I don't think it really matters, the details. I mean, I've seen as many as 400 times that we're either told not to fear external circumstances or we are told to fear, to reverence and honor and obey God. But there are at least 110 specific instances of Scripture where we are told, do not be afraid, do not fear. And that's why you got a handout in your bulletin today that has the two big words, fear not. And then every one of the Scriptures where we are told specifically, do not be afraid. So if fear is something that you struggle with more than most, fear is something you would like to, to have be a part of your past, not a part of your present and your future, then I would encourage you to take that, tuck it into your Bible, and spend your time with God each day looking at one or two of those each time and looking at the context, not just the specific verse, but what's the context? What are the circumstances? Because if you'll do that, you'll find that over the whole of Scripture, almost every circumstance that could cause us to be afraid, that could cause us to have a fear response, is addressed. And we are told, do not be afraid. From Genesis to Revelation, we are commanded not to be afraid. Jesus talks about this over and over in the Bible, or in the Gospels, I should say, and he even draws a link between fear and faith, that fear evidences a lack of faith. And he says that he kind of contrasts the two together, and one comes to mind in particular in Mark chapter 6 when he, he walks out to them, and they're afraid, and they're terrified, and he says, oh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And he quiets the wind and the waves begin to obey him. And, and he, he points out that, that there is this reality that fear that gets in the way of our faith is actually sin. Fear that drives us away from what God is calling us to do and how he's calling us to follow him and how he's calling us to obey him becomes sin because it causes us to miss the mark. Do you know that's the definition of sin? Is to miss the mark. It's actually an archery term. They would say that if you did not hit the bullseye, you sinned. And when we allow fear to keep us from doing what God has called us to do, that's sin. That's missing the mark because he said this is the mark and we've allowed fear to keep us from pursuing that. So fear is a pretty big deal and it makes a big impact on how we follow Christ. Fear is what prevents a lot of people from sharing their faith, from witnessing to someone else, from evangelizing someone else. Fear gets in the way. We're worried about their response. And so fear keeps us from doing something that we have been commanded in Scripture to do. Or I believe that fear is one thing that keeps a lot of people from stepping forward and following Christ in baptism. They're afraid of what people are going to think. I think fear keeps people in their seats when God is calling them forward to an altar of prayer to, be, to respond in some way. Because they're worried about what people will think. Fear can really drive us astray. And I think that's why Paul addressed it so clear in his letter to Timothy. He says, God does not give us a spirit of fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity but of power and of love and of self-control. Or maybe you learned it like I did, of, of sound mind. I use the NLT there because it breaks the word that we translate as either fear or timidity in most translations, and it, and it actually says both. It says God does not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, 
Because the word that's being translated there is not the Greek word phobia. It's not the the classic word for fear. It's the Greek word for cowardice. He's saying when you feel like drawing back, when you feel like not doing what you ought to do in a cowardly way, that is not coming from God. That is only coming from the enemy. If it does not come from God, it's coming from somewhere else. And when, when our fear keeps us from doing the good that we know to do, that's cowardice. That's not coming from God. And then it lists three things that do come from God. Power and love and a sound mind. And I think those are the three antidotes to fear. That God's power at work within us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is at work within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing to be afraid of in that regard. He talks about love. And John said in his letters that perfect love, God's perfect love, casts out fear. His perfect love casts out fear, transforms us from the inside out. I remember the first time I was going to preach, and I was terrified. I was petrified, public speaking, 101. I was, I was preaching to a big room, uh, about five 600 people in that room. And I was afraid, and my senior pastor could see that I was afraid. And he said, Mark, just remember, perfect love casts out fear. Go out there and love the people. Love the people, and you will not be afraid. You'll be too busy loving them to be afraid of what they might think or what you might do or how you might get it wrong. And he was right. And I've carried that with me. Anytime that I start to get nervous, I choose to love the people instead of be afraid of what I may or may not do. And so when we talk about the fear, the timidity, the fear that inhibits our faith, he says that's not going to come from God. And so when we see that and we know where it's coming from, then we can deal with it, we can address it. But I want you to turn to Psalms now. You can turn to page 893. We're going to be looking at Psalm 56. And in Psalms, you find every single expression of fear known to man. You get out your thesaurus, and you could start working through all the different parallels to fear, and you'll find them represented in Psalms. You see things like fear, anger, anxiety, terror, peril, trembling, running for your life, dread, danger, distress, and worry. All of these are subjects of the psalmist bringing their their requests to God. And one in particular that I, I chose to focus on today is Psalm 56. Verses 1 through 4. And the context of this is you may know that, that David, after he slayed Goliath, after he uh, had that great victory, which was a great example of overcoming fear and boldly doing what God had called him to do, uh, he goes into the service of the king. The king becomes very jealous of him and starts trying to kill him. And so he's fleeing from the king. And one time when he's fleeing from the king, he ends up being seized by the Philistines. The Philistines, Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines that, that he had slayed their champion. The Philistines that were always at war with Israel. So it's kind of like David has gone out of the frying pan and into the fire. And so he starts in verses 1 and 2 of this psalm. He says, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. So... These are legitimate concerns. He is in enemy territory. He's fleeing his king, and he ends up in enemy territory where people are pursuing him and attacking him. And he says that. He repeats it. It's in both verses that they're being, he's being pursued, and he's being attacked. And they have malice in their intent towards David. So these are legitimate concerns. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever been there where you kind of tried to avoid one thing that you were afraid of, one dangerous reality, and you end up in something worse or something that feels worse? So that's kind of where David is right here, and that's why verse 3 is so important. And I love the simplicity of this verse. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. He's addressed God 
And he has said, when I am afraid, rational or irrational, when I am afraid, I will trust you. I will trust you, God. In fact, you remember in grade school and middle school when you did the wrong thing or you said the wrong thing, you had to stay after class and write out a hundred times, I will not do this, I will not do this. I think there might be some value in that exercise right here, especially if you struggle with fear. Write it out a hundred times. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid of, and you fill in the blank, a hundred different ways. When I'm afraid of snakes, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid of feeling worthless, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid of feeling lonely, I will trust in you. And you keep filling in those blanks and you keep saying, turning every fear back to an opportunity to trust God. That's our bottom line today. Every instance of fear is an opportunity for faith. Every instance of fear is an opportunity for faith. David said, and when I trust, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And this isn't the only place he said this. In Psalm 61, he asked God, says, lead me to the rock, which is higher than I, to my refuge and my strong tower in place of fear. That God invites us to call out to him in the midst of our fears. Psalm 23, the most famous psalm in all of Scripture, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture, deals precisely with fear. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And when you are with me, God, I have nothing to be afraid of. I don't need to be paralyzed. I don't need to be redirected by my fear. I can trust in you. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Do you know how much courage it takes to take your eyes off of the thing that's in front of you and look up to God who is there to help us in our fear? Every instance of fear is an opportunity for faith. So when you feel afraid, I'm not saying don't engage the fear or deny it in some way or pretend that it doesn't exist. Feel the feeling, but then evaluate it and respond to it and say, is this legitimate? Is this rational? Is this irrational? What is my best response to this fear? Should I fight against it? Should I run away from it? Should I stand and endure patiently? And some part of your question should be, what would Jesus do in the face of this fear? What would Jesus do in the face of this fear? Would he be afraid of this in the first place? And if he was, how would he respond to that? Then feed your faith by trusting in God and remembering his promises to you and remembering his word. That's how David ends this in verse 4. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And he says, in God, whose word I praise. And when he's talking about his word, he's talking about his promises. Kind of like a man is only as good as his word. It's that context of word. It's not just the words of God. It's the reputation of God. It's God's ability to come through on his promises. That's what David is choosing to trust in. That's what he's saying. When I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in the God whose word, whose reputation, whose ability to come through. I praise. I sing praise to that, he's saying. And the thing that struck me on this, I kind of put the outline together on Monday afternoon, and then things got really busy, and I think it was Thursday morning. I'm taking a shower, and that's where a lot of my great sermon ideas come is in the shower, and I'm thinking about this psalm, and I'm kind of meditating on it, and I realize, you know what's amazing about this? You know what's amazing about David saying this? It's all pre-Christ. 
It's all pre-resurrection. He's trusting in the promise. He's trusting in God's ability to come through prior to the greatest example of God fulfilling his promises and the greatest example of God coming through for his people. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he makes this declaration and he puts his faith and his hope and his trust in God hundreds of years before the resurrection. How much more should we, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of seeing the greatest example of God's power and God's reputation at stake, how much more should we trust in him, regardless of our circumstances? And I think that's why Paul was able to say in Romans 8.28 that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's a really good reason to not be afraid. It doesn't say he works some things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, or even many things, or most things. It says he works all things together, and Jesus Christ is the perfect example of that. We just looked at it at Easter time, that he was in the garden of Gethsemane sweating great drops of blood, begging that if there was any way that this cup could be taken from him, that it would be taken from him. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, was the conclusion of that prayer. And then he was beaten beyond recognition, and he was nailed to a cross, and he was crucified as a public spectacle. And so when God says he can work all things together for good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Easter is the proof. He worked all of that together for good through the power of the resurrection, that the tomb would be empty on Sunday morning, and that he would not remain in the grave, but that he would triumph over sin and death on our behalf. That is the good news. Can't stop talking about it. I know it's three weeks in a row. It might be four. We'll see where we go next week. But this is good news. This is good news in the face of your fear. Whether it's rational or irrational, whether it's likely to happen or not, we can trust that God is going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, the timing may not always be what we would prefer. And the way that he works it all together for good may not be what we had asked for specifically. But the fact remains that for eternity, we can be in the presence of God, worshiping him and enjoying his presence for eternity regardless of the circumstances that we face here and now eventually and eternally all things will be worked together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose that's why our bottom line is that every instance of fear is an opportunity for faith and i want to leave you with a quote that has impacted me deeply for some time and i've returned to it many times And it's a quote by Marianne Williamson, who's a novelist and writer. Nelson Mandela quoted her at his inauguration uh, address. And so a lot of people have attributed to him. But it was actually written by her. And she says this, and this is really interesting, and it gives us one final facet of how our response to fear matters so much. She says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? But actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission 
to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. This is spiritual leadership. This is the opportunity that we have because when you respond to your fear with faith, you inspire and empower others to do the same. When you see a fearful circumstance and you respond to that in faith, you empower and inspire other people to do the same. That's why we read our children the story of David and Goliath, not Saul and Goliath. Because they were both faced with the same challenge. Saul cowered in fear. Scripture tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above all the other men of Israel. He was the one. He was the champion of Israel that should have faced Goliath. But he let fear get in the way of that. And it was David who responded to his fear long before he wrote Psalm 56 and said, when I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to overcome the fear. And as he did so, he spurred the army on to victory and led victorious campaign after victorious campaign because his conquering of his fear inspired and empowered others to overcome their fear. And so whatever you're facing today, I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you will have the same response that David had, that you will respond, when I am afraid of, and you fill in the blank, I will trust in God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are our shield and our defender, that you stand with us and that you are for us. That there is nothing we will face that we have to face alone. That we can face every circumstance of life with you. And Lord, I'm, I'm thinking of those who may be here today who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Who have never accepted the gift of grace. Who have never placed themselves in your hands. Placed their life in your hands. Placed their will in your hands. Who have never said to you, I need you. I need a Savior. And I pray, God, that if that describes anyone in the room today, God, that their hearts would be softened and that their spirits would respond in faith to your goodness and to your grace. Whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we're facing, may we trust that you are working all things together for good. It's in Jesus' name we pray.